The Being an Engineer podcast is a repository for industry knowledge and a tool through which engineers learn about and connect with relevant companies, technologies, people, resources, and opportunities. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Being an Engineer podcast. Our guest today is Astrid McNeilis, who holds bachelor's and master's degrees from MIT in mechanical engineering and new product development, started her career as a product development engineer, then transitioned into marketing and program management roles. Uh, She has over 15 years of experience managing global marketing and new product development, including large multidisciplinary international teams, budgets, and deliverables, all of which is to say she knows how to get things done. Astrid, welcome to the show. Hello, nice to meet you. Okay, well, um, tell me, how did you initially get into engineering? What was attractive to you about that that uh, career path? I will say it starts with my entire family were engineers of some sort, civil, mechanical, chemical, you name it. They were all engineers. <clears throat> but on top of that, um, where I kind of landed was uh, curiosity about how things work. And that was the thing that that brought to me. And and I was kind of pragmatic about it. I wanted to have flexibility and security. And mechanical engineers are kind of needed everywhere for everything, right? And then on top of that, I wanted to have variety. Um, So if you think about the mechanical engineering world, right, you can do dynamics and you can do fluids and thermodynamics and you know there's such a broad spectrum of things you could do with your a mechanical engineering degree that I thought that might be a good choice for me that would allow me then to continue to um, uh, explore. I think that's a point that's not um, not well understood or, or fully appreciated because with with a degree in mechanical engineering you're right you can do so many different things just within the field of engineering itself there are you know tons of different avenues that you can go down but even outside of that um you could you could go into you know a sales engineer you could do um uh human factors design you could do marketing i think an engineering degree it gives you this base of knowledge and this ability to solve problems that really lets you go so many different places. Business owner. I, I think engineers make great business owners. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, uh, uh, biased, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> I, uh, that's what I think. Yeah. I think engineers, especially, I don't know, maybe especially mechanical engineers, cause you know, we're best. Just say. of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we can be very pragmatic. I think that's one of the require. There's two kind of things that you do as an engineer is solving problems. And then being pragmatic about solving problems like the best engineers are good at throwing their own ideas out and going, oh, that's that that really I'm in love with that idea, but it's really clearly not working. Therefore, I better kick that if I'm going to be a real a good engineer, I need to kick that idea to the side and go and throw in a wider net and try some yeah. things. Um, and I think that's I don't know. I would think that if I was a. A singer, I would have to be very passionate about whatever 
version of what I'm doing. Whereas as an engineer, you're like, okay, that didn't, those last 15 ways I tried didn't work. So I'm going to have to try some different ways. And we've had lots of practice failing, if you will. Yeah. Which takes some humility for sure. Yes. If you don't have it to start with, you get it. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, something interesting about you, there are many things, but one thing that I, I found interesting is you speak, uh, I guess, four different languages, English, clearly, uh, German, French, and Romanian. What, tell me about that. Uh, it's, uh, it's not, I don't, I don't find it to be so, I don't know. I don't, I don't take it, the credit for it, to be honest, because I was born in Romania. Oh, ah, okay. Hence, I spoke Romanian and my father, uh, there's some history there that I won't de- dive into, but there is a strong German contingent in Romania or was, I think they've been migrating out over the past hundred years. But so it was an expectation that I would have German and I spoke just German with my father and just Romanian with my mother. And then when we emigrated from communist Romania, we emigrated first to Germany. And then ultimately I ended up at the age of nine here in the United States. And so you're looking at an immigrant while you're looking at it. People are listening to an immigrant. (laughs) That is fascinating. Uh, I, I feel like that could be an episode's worth of podcasting all by itself. Just everything there um so uh, clearly you have zero accent at all so you you picked up english pretty well when you moved here but was that i I have to imagine that was kind of challenging at least at first yeah and uh you some people do pick up an accent it's interesting i've i've some it depends on where they are in the united states the first thing they'll say to me is like you are not from around here are you and uh, really yeah so they do catch it um but yeah and i think you know, one of the things that uh, that you were talking about is why did I go to MIT? Well, I didn't know our country and our options that well. And so once I decided I wanted to be an engineer, I was like, okay, well, what's the best school for it? There you MIT, go. Okay, how do I get in there? And um, especially as we're having so much conversation about, you know, immigration and all of that, one common thread that I've seen in, in immigrants before I tell you, think about this. You've moved, right? And how much sure. pain is that? You made it's it. not fun. Not fun, right? And what is it? It's not just figuring out if it's expensive, what of your stuff you're going to actually is important enough to take with you. Um, but then it's actually packing it and moving. And then you have no network and you don't yeah. know anyone and they might do things differently and you don't know where to get your groceries and all sorts of stuff like that. Okay, so not not great, and but you have good reasons for doing it, and so you sure. Do. Okay, yeah. well take that, and an immigrant makes all those same sorts of decisions. Some of them may not may not ever be able to go home ever again. They they're making some fairly big sacrifices, and now they're learning a new language. And talk about culture difference, right? Then the culture that they're going into, and I mean any culture, right? If I moved from here to England. It's actually a epic culture change as well. So even if I speak the language, it's still big. I still have no network. So I find that immigrants have um, real grit and very, very uh, laser focus on what it is that they're trying to do and, and maybe humility in terms of 
you, you can't even buy a piece of cheese, let alone whatever it is that you were good at. So you have to learn humility super quick again, because um, you can't even you, you can't even communicate. That's that's a very insightful point. Not to be flippant, you almost make it sound like something that should be sought after, right? Because you naturally develop these these skill sets as as a result. Uh, I interviewed uh, a gentleman named uh, Tuan Trampham recently on the podcast, and he was uh, the, his family fled from Vietnam um, thirty years ago or something. He ended up living in Denmark for fifteen or twenty years, and then and then coming here to the United States. But his story uh, echoed everything you just said. Just this laser focus and this grit, determination to to get to um, the places that he wanted to get to, and he has so. I think there's definitely something to be said for for what you're sharing here with uh, that that grit determination that immigrants just naturally have. And I say the other thing is I I really if I was queen of our country I would make it a requirement for every high school kid once they graduate that they are required to go live somewhere else in the world whether it's Paris or Vietnam or Africa, whatever they, whatever they want to do it, third world country, first world country, anything because of that, it gives you that understanding and appreciation for having to do things differently and learning that it's different. It's not better or worse. It might, you might like some things and you might like some things more and less, but it's still, it's just a different way of doing it. And that opens your mind in life in general and being able to collaborate and work with other people knowing that okay i wildly disagree with what you're saying but i'm going to take a moment and at least understand where you're coming from because i know at least three different words four different words for the word water and none of them are better or worse so maybe your way is worthy for me to at least explore and understand before, you know, I make a decision on whether or not I line up with what you're doing. So I think there's that. Plus, I I love our country. And so whoever goes out, they will come back and really appreciate how amazing the United States is. Cause it's, that, that's a terrific mindset. I love that. Yeah, so. Well, let me let me dive into uh, a few not technical questions, but engineering related here. So, one of your early roles was at Timken, where um, they primarily manufacture bearings. I'm sure they do other things as well. Uh, but you led the development of a process and software application to automate new product price estimations. Um, estimating is something that I think all engineers deal with, at least to some extent. Um, and something for which very few of us probably receive any formal training. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about that, that quoting software project and also what tools that you currently use to, to estimate new projects? So uh, you're going to be a little disappointed about <laughs> the story was this. We'd have our master engineers. Oh, and here's the other piece that you might, uh, I, Timken makes bearings and steel. Uh, and steel, yeah, okay. and steel. Um, but they were 100 years old when I was working for them. And what was cool about them is they had really worked through some, they're just like light years ahead in terms of business practices uh, and understanding just how to create strong teams and things like that. So I learned a lot of what I use today 
actually was foundational there. So anyway, this particular project. Oh, and the other thing I was going to tell you that was cool is they just hired engineers, period. You want to be in marketing, an engineer. You, oh, interesting. We're engineers. Everyone. Yeah, because engineers make the best, uh, best, best team members. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're a little biased, so I'm not yeah. necessarily. But no, what was cool is what, and especially their sales guys, were all en- mechanical engineers, and they would hire the engineers who had, you know, leanings and were maybe more outgoing and things like that, and then they would teach them how to be sales guys and then the sales guys go in and could engineer the product right into a customer's application so it was really very cool so anyway so then they would but so we would create bearings and what have you for the explicit customer application rather than making them use one of our off-the-shelf products and it would be exactly whatever they needed for whatever power and so on. And some of the changes were pretty minor, like, you know, change the OD by two millimeters or something super like non, not worthy of really a lot of thinking about it. Right. I mean, it's, it's still real work, but it's not like completely changed the power profile and all of that. Right. Uh, and we had the same engineers that like our master engineers doing these very simple things as well as the super complicated things. And so our customers would sit and wait because it would, it, it was just this pile of work that the engineers needed to do to review. So what we did is, is we just kind of went through and, um, kind of made a path and said, okay, how do you estimate the costs and the changes and the whatevers for what are this kind of, we categorize the type of changes and then just said, all right, for the very simple changes, how do you go about it? And then create a process map for that and got them to, you know, the what ifs and stuff like that um, and made decisions like that. And then we automated it. Oh, I'm not disappointed at all in that. Oh, you're not? Okay. <laughs> no, I think that's terrific, right? I, it it seems, um, I don't know, it seems maybe like a simple answer, but really, when you're evaluating any process, it's so valuable to just kind of take a step back and break the process down into all its different individual compartments and then think specifically about each compartment. Is this the best way to do this piece of the process? Yes. Okay, great. We'll move on to the next one. Is this the best piece, best way to do this piece? I think we can make some improvements here. And just breaking it down into all the individual elements, I think itself is so, so useful. And it seems basic, but how often do we, do we really do that? Right. Oh, yeah. I'm, it's awesome that you ca- capture that because that's one of the secrets to my general success is I'm actually doing that right now in my job is going everybody's kind of hand waving around like how hard can it be yeah okay we get it but then when I actually go okay well here's step one here's step two and then a miracle happens and we got the results and they're like well okay (laughs) you know yeah there's Um, something you know someone will come in and do something it'll be fine (laughs) don't worry yeah and then that person it wins the lottery and we're up a right? <laughs> right, yes. But, but when you create that process, um, you then also have an opportunity to go, 
well, wait a minute. Why do we do that little loop-de-loop? Like, why are we off in that eddy doing that thing? Is that actually value-add? And it's kind of just basic green belt, black belt sort of activity. But it's like, you know, well, is that actually, is it necessary? Is it adding value? Yeah. Uh, All that sort of stuff is pretty critical in any kind of process. Which brings up another great point is asking why, especially for, you know, existing processes. Okay, we do it this way. Why do we do it that way? Is it because, you know, the last three engineers only had this skill set and so that's how they did it? Maybe there's a better way. So asking why for each of those steps is also a critical component. And it takes some serious, um, I think, discipline to pause. I was listening Mm. to you putting that in your calendar and I don't think a lot of people do it and in fact I was like oops I even I am not you know process girl still oh I'm not doing that because it's a it's a important but not urgent activity to stop and take stock why are we doing this how are we doing it is this the right way we're usually too busy running around doing to stop yes. and say, is it, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing it the right way? Why, why are we doing it? All that sort of thing. Uh, have you ever heard the name Earl Nightingale? No. Tell me more. Yeah. He's, he's passed on, I, I believe, but, uh, he was one of the, the first kind of personal development gurus and he put together some, some courses and one of them is called Lead the Field, which to, to this day is one of my favorite, um, I have the audio version, so I listen to it, but it's just, it's timeless classic advice for, um, just being a successful person, you know, managing time, understanding money, all these things. He has this just wonderful course. It's like four hours. It's not even that long. But, uh, one of the things he talks about is, um, uh, the, the importance of, of not reacting to everything, but thinking. And he talks about how it, it's so hard for humans to think. Uh, and we have to intentionally turn on our thinking apparatus, he calls it, which is just such a great name, our thinking apparatus, because you're, it, it's so easy to just react, right? We all have our schedules and our habits and our routines, and it's easy to just go through those and, and react. Okay, this is happening. I, I, I know I've done it 20 times, so I'm just going to react and do the same thing. But he says, no, you need, you need to intentionally turn on your thinking apparatus, and I I think that's really hard for us to do as humans, right? Because there's this like mental inertia to just continue doing. Um, and it takes some, some real, um, uh, brain power to stop and, and, to and think. discipline, discipline. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Tony Robbins. Yeah. I, I follow Tony Robbins's work too. And he talks a lot about how we evolved. Our brain evolved to keep us safe. Mm. Fabulous you know, 10,000 years ago. And even today, there's a lot of, you know, what what our brain is focused on is making sure we're safe. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't allow us to evolve. Survival is not evolution. Survival is not necessarily joy. You're alive. And so that reaction that you're talking about is the brain is immediately thinking through, okay, how is this a threat? How am I going to protect against it? How do I keep myself safe versus a you know what? I'm safe. I'm good. I will survive today. It'll be okay. <laughs> now I want to know how do I take some of the, the higher elements of Maslow's pyramid and have purpose and joy yes. and 
all that sort of thing. Let's do some self-actualization here. Yeah, exactly. Um, a quick tangency, our, our uh, engineering manager, Michael, was Tony Robbins' business manager for yeah. several years. That's my yeah. second degree claim to fame. <laughs> it's, it's very cool. I, I want to talk about that one. Oh, I heard that particular podcast. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's another podcast you could go down and spend a yeah. whole hour. Oh, he's got all kinds of stories from that era. Very interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned that, that Tim Ken was, probably is, light years ahead in terms of business practices. Are there uh, any in particular that, that you could share that are just interesting or insightful or that could be applied to our our businesses? Um, probably, um, but I don't know which ones are theirs because I have been collecting <laughs> and taking my enough. own best practices. And so it's, uh, I, I can tell you my approaches to things, but um, I think that... Um, one of the things is continuity. So there's a few things, but it's not what I use in my day to day, but I think it's a, a thing that companies, and again, I haven't been with Timken in a long time, so I don't know what they do today, but, um, and t- loyalty was huge. Um, so they were a public company, but more than 50% was friends and family. So really they were, really, yeah, that's incredible. Yes. Um, which allowed them to kind of not care what the stock market had to say to them. They were just like, yeah, okay, so don't buy our stock, you know, whatever, do you. <laughs> um, and, and it was still led by someone from the family um, with passion, and that's not always a good thing, that like getting passed down from generation to generation is not always a good thing. But there is a certain, I think, level of, pride and and um commitment to doing it like it's your you know Aaron your your company it's it's your name it's your reputation your explicit reputation if your company is doing well and doing the right thing is a much different scenario than if you know the CEO of some company who's you know is a serial CEO and they go into various companies and they spike up the the stock price and then they eject take their stock money and you know the it, who knows what happened to the people there you know and there's it, i think in the society right now there's so much um or so little trust in am i gonna have a job tomorrow because they keep coming through and they reorganize and you're you're done and you've given your life and soul to this company for five, 10, whatever years that that's now quaint, right? We don't do that anymore. But, um, and, and so there's a lack of trust. And so it's a, it's a negative perpetuating, perpetuating circumstance where because, um, they care about the stock market and all that sort of thing. And they're working on that rather than going with the long vision, which may be ugly in the short term, um, that causes employees to not be as trustful that they will have a job no matter how well they've done right they'll get laid off no matter what possibly um and and then they're not doing quite as good a job they're not quite as committed so it's just this negative cycle back to timken one thing i i really appreciated about them is when they had i know it happened before i joined but when they had 
a really rough time, what they said is we don't want to lay anyone off. But the way to do that, the way to survive right now is for everyone to take a 20% pay cut. Can, can you? And I think they had the management team agree to do that and said, okay, we're just going to take a pay cut. Nobody loses their job and we're just going to, we're going to ride this out and try and, and everybody's protected. So that was one thing. The other one was um, really working and truly like I fill in all these like uh, job goals and blah, de blah. But no, with Timken, they really wanted to know, which gets into how did I end up in marketing, but they really want to know what is it that's going to spark you and give you joy. And if you, I could go to any executive and say, you know what? I don't love what I'm doing. What I want to do is X. And they would look for a way to make X possible or you're underperforming and they would coach you and work with you until you are performing that level. Can you imagine the level of, you know, um, commitment that the, those employees had for that company? I can imagine. I have thought a lot about this and, and I love that you're bringing it up and that Tim can have that culture. That's phenomenal. Um, uh, I wonder if it makes it easier that everyone was uncles and cousins. Uh, but even outside of that, I recently had one-on-ones with, with every team member on my team. Granted, we're a small team, so it didn't take that long, but I, I asked them to think about in advance the answer to the question, what is it that you want from your role at, at Pipeline, at, at our company? And I really wanted to hear it. You know, I, I wanted to hear what is it that's going to bring you joy? Why do you want to work here? Do you want to work here? Um, and I, I don't know that that we yet have the level of, of trust that is required for to team members to really, really be honest about that. Because what if their honest answer, and, and maybe that's not just honest with me, but honest with themselves. What if their honest answer is, I don't know that I love engineering anymore. Maybe I want to do something else. But who's going to say that to their boss, right? That that requires quite a bit of of trust. But anyway, I, I, I really like that, uh, that mentality and, and I love that you brought it up. Yeah. But hang on. What if they're what, done with Wait, there's more. There's more. What if they say, I don't know that I want to do engineering. I'm tired of engineering. Well, I'm guessing you have marketing that needs to be done in your company and sales. Sure. Yeah. And you know, there's like in your company, there are all these other things that can be done. So maybe they become the best damn marketing person you could ever hope to have. And we know that engineers make the best marketers and salespeople. So we're already set (laughs) to success. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, All right. Well, let me take just a very short break here and share with the listeners that uh, testfixturedesign.com is where you can learn more about how uh, our company, Pipeline, helps medical device engineering teams uh, and other product companies who need turnkey custom test fixtures or automated equipment to assemble, inspect, characterize, or perform verification or validation testing on their devices. Today we're speaking with Astrid McNeilis, who currently works as a program manager at Terumo BCT. Um, Astrid, 
you have expertise and it, it, it feels like just so many different areas. And, and I feel like I could just pepper you with questions all day. Um, one of them is managing teams both domestically and overseas. Uh, what are some of the challenges that, that you've encountered and solutions that you've developed for doing so successfully? Oh boy, am I glad you asked because I'm very passionate about this. Good. Um, so the thing, um, there's a couple things. So, Let's start with how do you how do you have a successful team? The successful team is you got to get the right butts in the right seats, and that's not my quote. It's one of my CEOs used to say that, which goes back to you know if you ask and the question in the end, the person can answer right honestly. They might say I'm not passionate, which by the way is why I'm not doing pure engineering anymore. Is I'm not passionate about this anymore I could get passionate I'm finding that I'm passionate about this other stuff Mm -hmm. Um, and so making sure that the people are feeling passionate about whatever it is that they're doing and they're they have the expertise or can get the expertise to do that so right butts right seats Um, also I got I've gotten very um, through my career I've tried multiple times but I, I call it eliminate the cancer so if there's somebody on the team that just isn't a fit or doesn't have the right motivation or uh. whatever, just whatever, I've gotten really uh, very unapologetic about heaving them out. Oh, t- tell me more about this. How do you know that you've reached that point where, okay, this this person has to go? Honestly, if I know that that person is, I try and keep them off my team to start with. So I go by reputation to start. Okay. Uh, and how do you, you know what? It's at some point when you get that exasperated, sort of, you've tried it once, two, three times, and you're like, just, it's just not happening. It's just not working. And yeah. it's, you know, if they're a good human being and they're trying and they're just the wrong, like they're not qualified to do that role, well, then find a different role for them to do. But I'm talking about the folks who are just not right, correctly motivated. And that tends to, there's no simple answer, unfortunately. You just have to be vigilant and see that it's pretty, I think, I think you two have a good sense for that. And there, it's pretty, um, if you're actually paying attention, you can see when somebody's not really not committed to the common goal and they're more committed to their own goals, whatever that might be. And so again, heave ho. Wish you luck somewhere else. I mean, there's even a person I told who had extensive, epic knowledge that we really needed on our team, but was you needed to know what question to ask in order to pull that data out of him, which is not useful. Then I have to already know what he knows to know to ask the question. Yeah. I needed him to raise his hand and say, I need you to hear, here's what you guys are missing. Hmm. Here's the pothole you're about to go through. And so after a few of those, I was like, and we're done. And we're out. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm unapologetic. What can I tell you? Um, the other thing that's super important is provide a compelling why. So I was thinking about your business. I don't know what you tell your team, but if you're doing test fixtures for medical device companies. Okay. So if you get that wrong, 
then either they get false positives or false negatives, meaning either they pass something that shouldn't have passed or they fail something that should have passed. Or if you're too slow, then they're slow getting their life-saving product to market. That's important work you guys are doing, right? That's huge. Like, that's not just the freaking text figure, test fixture. It's not just, you know, a bit of engineering. It's kind of fun. It's changing the world in a, in your own way. So that needs to be clear. That's where the passion and I'm, that's, I'm big on passion. You need to be passionate about what you're doing. Um, and if you're not, then find, find the passion. Cause if, unless you're passionate, you're always going to sort of be okay. You'll do just fine, I guess. Yeah, but you're not going to be great. You're not going to be great. And you're not going to be having fun. So this is a good a good uh, point to transition to uh, your your role as a, uh, a marketing manager, uh, as a marketer in general. Um, you just you just brought up this great point of asking why and then you uh, immediately with probably very little or no uh, advanced thought were able to pivot and say, okay, let's look at your business. Why is it important for your employees to do what they do? And you came up with this, well, it's life-saving equipment. It's going to help these medical device companies get their products to, to people that need them, patients that need that care sooner. Tell me about your your transition into marketing. Um, how did you discover that you were passionate about it, and um, what 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 kind of things have you done as a marketer? Well, so let me back up back to passion because I'm passionate about passion. Always goes back All to right. passion. All right. All right, yeah. So so why did I stop doing engineering? Is probably I mean I you can uh, you can safely assume I worked pretty damn hard for those degrees, right? Right so now, I've got the MIT doesn't just hand them out like no, a belt factory. It turns out, no, 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 yeah. they don't. It's damn hard to get in, and it's even harder to get out. Um, so, but then I was working at the Timkit company, and I was blessed to have uh, Professor Flowers as my mentor. Professor Woody Flowers, look him up; he's amazing. So I realized that these venerable engineers had passion, and I realized I did not. And what is passion? You do it for fun. You're grateful that somebody's willing to do it, to give you money to do the thing you love. Um, you, you know, there's so many things about that. And my passion ended up being solving problems. And I feel like so many, and in the form of products at the time, but now it's kind of gotten bigger, but too many times product companies ask, you know, what product would you like us to create for you? It's like, well, the customer doesn't know what products are capable, you can, are capable of creating. They, they're not engineers. They're not product developers. They're doing whatever they're doing. So in a, in a medical device industry, like, why would we go ask the, the doctor what kind of product we should develop for them? They'll do their best for us because they're nice people, but that's not the question to ask. The question to ask is, what are the biggest problems? What are the things keeping you up at night? What is keeping you from being as successful as you could be in that world, right? Those are much more interesting questions than what product should we develop? Yes. Yes. And and it's like even the post-it is a super old example. But I don't think any one of us would have said, you know, I need these little pieces of paper that I stick <laughs> everywhere. Like nobody yeah. would have come up with that. <laughs> right. So, um so that's, that is the important and, and, um, so marketing, that's their job. 
if they do it well. So there's marketing, there's two ends. Okay, so backing up, Timken allowed me, I said I wanted to do new product development. My father's a mechanical engineer. He taught me about all these managers that would come in and say, how hard could it be? And they didn't understand they weren't engineers. And so he'd be able to like, be like, well, grab a chair. And they didn't know <laughs> that he was blowing smoke up their skirts because he was, he, they, there wasn't that mutual respect. And he was like, no, or vice versa. He'd get lambasted for trying to do the right thing mm. that the manager didn't understand. So anyway, so back to, so what I wanted to do is if I'm going to do new product development, I wanted to be able to do every step along the way. So how does it start? It starts with marketing and understanding what is the customer problem? Where is the market going? If I make the best VHS product right now, is that really going to do the job for us? So understanding that. Um, then it goes to engineering to create the best product. Then it goes to manufacturing to actually be able to create it and do it in a costly, cost-effective way. And then it gets flung back to marketing, whose job it is to to show how the product that you created solves the problem that the customer has. So that's how I ended up in marketing is to understand what is that problem that we're trying to solve. Well, I feel like you're, you're selling me on marketing. I'm, I'm listening to you talk about asking interesting questions. That sounds phenomenal. I'd love to do that. Yeah. yeah. That's fun. Um, and tell I, us. Sorry to, I, go ahead. No, go okay. ahead. So the other thing that one of, I feel like my success factors is I demand my entire core team. So core teams, right? It's the engineers, manufacturers, quality, regulatory, clinical, whatever, right? That's our, that's our team. That's our core team to develop the product. So what we would do is at the beginning of, of our development cycle, we would go and do exactly what I said is we'd sit with, you know, we'd, we'd have it more uh, focused question rather than what are all the problems you have, um, my anesthesiologist friend. Um, but back to, you know, something that Nelcor and we were in oximetry could do. Well, we, you, we'd be in those rooms where with a mirror on the one side, and I'd demand that my team spend at least one day on the backside of that mirror, actually physically watching the, the customer answer those questions. And like, there was no summary. There's no like, PowerPoints are only interesting when you know the background behind the one-liners, right? Yeah. So, my team, I forced them in a kind way, <laughs> um, but they needed to go spend at least the day. And then once they got, they would like just kick and scream. Why do I need to do this? I'm in regulatory for God's sakes. You know, I don't, you, this, I, this is not helpful to my day to day job. And I'm like, no, no, you need to understand your why. Why are we doing this? Why is this important? There's the person you need to have in mind as you're trying to make decisions going forward. So. And even if they were kicking and screaming going to that that meeting, I bet they came back mm -hmm. pretty grateful that they had been there. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. That that was the trick you had up your sleeve. You knew it was going to turn out that way the whole time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so I am not a marketer, but I've had to do at least some, my feeble attempts at marketing to pr promote my own company. Um, but 
I've always felt like marketing is kind of this black box. And uh, I think engineers in general probably feel that way because a lot of the direction that we get as far as we're going to develop this new product or that new product comes from the marketing team. And um, can you just explain a little bit, kind of draw the curtain back and, and let us behind the scenes, what, what happens uh, in marketing? How does marketing work? Why is it important? Yeah, okay. Well, there's so like I said, there's two sides of it, right? At the beginning of a development project um, marketing needs to kind of be out there ahead and look into the into the future and see where is the market going again if we make the best VHS product or at this point the best CD in the world not really that gonna gonna that's not where the market's going so they need and that's a really obvious one because we're in the throes of it but um, uh, upstream what they're called upstream marketing they're out there kind of trying to really understand way out into the future and say, okay, where is the market going in general? What kind of problems do I see? Is like the information, being able to manage information, well, that that's something that even someone who's doing pulse oximetry needs to be aware of. We may choose to pursue it or not. But we need to at least understand where is pulse oximetry going? How is is it becoming a commodity? Every you know we're losing patents, blah de blah, or what is what is that as far as what does the market need? And then explicitly, oh, and beyond that is what is our co- company good at doing? We're not going to be good at everything. So let's have clarity about what we can do and what we can do well and what we can do better, and can we create something there? that others cannot do. It's called a competitive advantage, right? Uh, and then you go a little closer to now we're actually doing a real product that we're talking about, and it's the actually asking the right sorts of questions of your potential customers so that you understand what it is that their problems are. So as you're making a decision of it's going to be this big or that big, we're going to use that material or this material, you have a, a little bit of an inkling into what is their world like so that you know i've spent so i've been blessed i've spent so much time in the or where i know i notice things that an anesthesiologist is paying attention to and doing that they don't even know to tell me about because it's just motherhood and apple pie well everybody knows that right so you sit and you observe and you so then you're making good decisions so that's all to me, that's all marketing, understanding that. There's lots of different people. And to, people don't send me hate mail because I know there's like, I, I just threw in a <laughs> bunch of other professions in there. So don't, I, I get it. But that's kind of, in a tiny company, that's what your marketing person does is trying to figure out, represent, translate the customer back to the, the design team. And then on the far uh, end, I- sorry, go ahead. I hear a lot of uh, almost human factors design in what you're saying, right? It's it's observing the users and, and taking that information back to the design team. Yes, and those were the professionals I was hoping weren't <laughs> going to send me hate mail. <laughs> but yes, exactly, and understanding all of that and putting it together, and then and then synthesizing it so that they can tell that story to the design team. Again, the design team should have their own, but they become kind of the de facto customer. It's like we would go to our marketing person 
and go, okay, we're going this way or that way. What's more important? We, we're not going to be able to do both in the time you want us to get it done. Which one do you, what, what's the trade-off here? And that marketing person is the person that gives you that, that understanding. So, okay. So they, that's the, that's the, that side. And then at the end of it, we now have our shiny, new, gorgeous, beautiful product that, you know, is the best thing since sliced bread. And now we need to do a good job of describing it or translating back from here's a set of features and a price point and whatever. And Mr. And Mrs. Customer, here's how it translates back to solving your problem. It's not because what that's another thing that we make mistakes on is check out our cool features. Well, <laughs> okay, well, that's fine. But what the real story is, is understanding. I'm pausing to think of whether it's worthy to tell you a story. So let me know if you want me to give you an example. But, but they go back to translating it saying, you said your problem was X. And so our product, the features that we just have put in here are designed to solve that problem X. And oh, by the way, if any marketer worth their salt, will do take that product and do what I just said, but take it about all through the design process and put it in the hands of the customer with as minimal a uh, explanation or interference as possible. And they go, here, you said you had this problem. Here's a product that we think will solve it. Play with it. What do you think? Stream of consciousness. This sucks. This is cool. Oh, I didn't expect this. Oh, what? How do I... Uh, Oh my gosh, having the engineers actually watch and and having us all sit there and go, oh, come on, really? It's cringy because you're like, oh, just press that button. Isn't it obvious? Not well, obvious. I, I, <laughs> I can see why an engineer would become such a, a valuable marketer because they both understand the design side, the technical side of things, and if they can get into that mindset of uh, watching the customer use it, and wow, that would be hugely beneficial. Yes. Yes, and and that's been what I do a lot of is I'll do translations between literally that's where the power of being an engineer who's a marketer is. I'll go, okay, engineer, I get that you know this this adding Wi-Fi just freaking complicated the heck out of your product, and it's it's medical Wi-Fi, so it's not just like any old oh, Wi-Fi. Yeah. So I, I get that that just complicated your life and your EMS just went out the door. I like, I get it. Yeah. But let me explain to you in some terms of why, because the marketing's like, I need it. How can you even question me? You suck. Just do what I said. And I'm like, take it easy. <laughs> so engineer. The reason they're asking for the Wi-Fi is because, you know, look at the pieces of paper. They have to write down in this device. All these sticky yeah. notes that they don't want to use right. anymore. Let's walk through <laughs> with them in the ICU. And and yeah. and then they go, oh, they got to carry this big honking device and then plug it back in and it doesn't connect. And oh, okay, I get it. All right. Now, well, now you've enrolled me mm, in wanting dude. to solve your problem. Done. Excellent. That's that's a great summary. Thank you for that. Welcome. All right. I have just a couple more questions for you. Um, the first one is you worked uh, for a few years at a company called SGI, and uh, it seems like a lot of what you th did there was help strengthen relationships. 
whether they were between sales teams or executive teams. Um, one of our core values here at Pipeline is treat our customers well, treat our team members better. And I was hoping that you could share some tools with us that you found uh, to be effective as you were strengthening relation- relationships between those groups. Yeah. Um, first, first thing that I think we tend to forget as we get excited about whatever we're doing is in the end, we're all humans. And we have good reasons for doing what we're doing, whatever our motivation is whether or not we agree that that as long as you start with empathy and humility and a genuine curiosity of like and every person that you meet is understanding you know trying to understand them why are you why are you why do you think the things you're thinking so that and and what do we all kind of fundamentally want we want to love and be loved we want to feel safe and, and all that sort of thing. So start there. Um, and as soon as you understand, you know, we want to take care of our children, make sure they're safe, that sort of thing. Right. So it, there's under, once you start, I think it's a, an approach, a humil, hum, humble approach and a curious approach with each other. I think that's an important element. And I, I think one of the ways to do that is, is to actually just model it. And then facilitate the heck out of it if you're seeing in your own team that they're not doing that. They're getting caught into whatever. Remember, we talked about the brain's job is to protect. So yeah. getting caught in fear and whatever. They're, they're, it might not show up as fear. It might show up as anger. It may show up as I'm stuck. I'm not listening. I'm the whatever. The job to me of you and my, my job is to facilitate through that and help help those. And it's again, very subtle, um, understand. And one of my big, 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 big tools that I love is the disc. Have you used this is disc profiling. Yes. And I had, and not only do I, do I have everyone get tested, but then we put all of our results on one page. Oh, interesting. And, and I've literally had, a. um, and it, and when it, when I, it first was done for me, I was like, oh, no, now they know all about me. <laughs> I felt so exposed and I was like, don't do that. What are you doing? Blah. But, but what ended up happening, and so I'm sure my team feels the same when I do it to them, but what ends up happening is like, oh, you're an engineer. You're going to need details. I better, maybe, you know, you're going to want to know how I got from A to B, which I think is how I'm approaching today's <laughs> interview. You're going to want to know how I got from A to B and to C and to Z. Um, if you're a D, which is kind of a classic leader, decide and move on. Well, you just, that person just wants the highlights and wants, it will trust that you've got that detail. But if you get them, if you go from A to Z, they, you will have lost them right around B. I can I can already see how useful this would be yeah. in, to implement into my own team. Yeah, it's cute. <laughs> Sometimes people trap me and they're like, "Hey, this is what we're doing. We're doing this and we're doing that." And like, I have a hard time interrupting people and saying, "Stop! I don't want to hear all of this." So I I tend to just kind of listen. But in my mind, I'm like, "I don't need to hear all of this. Yeah. Just you know, get to the point and move on." Right. Exactly. So if I so how I talk to you in a in that kind of environment would be. Get to the point, do the disc, it'll change your team's dynamics. 
That's and great. You know, C, an engineer, wants to know, well, how? Yeah. Oh, there's been, you know, they've done millions and millions of these. Okay, I can trust it. Blah. So I have... Has, go ahead. Have you found that, that your team has been very receptive to uh, the, the disk profiles and using them? Yeah, I've literally, when I was in a, in a cubicle land, I literally had a teammate go and they were they were like, I'm on my way to meet with so-and-so. And they came and looked at, because I had it on a poster, and they were like, oh, they're a C. Crap. I, and then they go back to their desk. They're like, I got to get my data. Cause <laughs> like, That's I'm not great. And get started. So, yeah. Fantastic. A huge, huge thing. That's a great tool. That's a great tool that I don't think uh, we've talked about at all, ever, on, on this show. It, Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, you're welcome. And so I will tell you a quick story of how I, I had a partner very early in my career. And he was a much more of a C, which is data-driven person. And I was more of the, could you tell the person, the personable person? I want to know the story behind you. We can talk. And I that. So anyway, we were driving each other nutso. Absolutely just, just, you know, under the surface. But we were just having a rough time. Flooding heads, yeah. And after we did the disc training, we discovered that he was the detailed guy I was the big picture person, okay? And he hated doing the damn big big picture. And I hated, like, I could go into the details, but that wasn't where I naturally, you know. So what we realized is that we make a perfect team. Yeah. And all we have to do is you do the details, I'll synthesize, and report it up to management. Oh, uh, now you've got this perfect complementary pairing. Exactly. And so we would, and when, when I would come at him and I'd be like, do you have it now? How about now? How about now? How about now? Is it ready? <laughs> he would be like, you're being a D right now. Yeah, Take chill out. Easy. And I'm like, oh, you need, you need a couple days, don't you? He's like, yep. And I'd be like, okay, all right. In two days, he's like, yep. I'm like, all right. I'm going to walk away. <laughs> well, that's such a, a, a great roadmap. You and I, uh, I think, yeah, we talked a little bit about this flow chart that my wife had, yes. had made for me, right? Like, this is how to communicate with me. Uh, and that's been embarrassing, embarrassingly, but it's been useful, right? So yeah. you're, you're, the, the disk profiling is a, a similar tool. It just gives you a path for how to communicate with different people. Yes, huge, huge way of how do we work. And so if, if we were at loggerheads before, it wasn't that we had this, didn't have the same goals or were trying to do the right thing. We were just coming at it a different way. So disc, huge. The other one is to pair people up and do as, as much, um, group decisions, like how, what's our goal? What does success look like? Um, the, are you, are you familiar with the agile methodology? Where they do a very, very rudimentary level. It, I have actually used it in, and that was one of the things that was kind of unique is I put our team, we did an agile board. We did it for everything. I mean, it's very, it lends itself much better, obviously, to software because in, in mechanical things, you have to build it before you can test it before, and it takes time, right? Um, but yet we still did that in the agile board. So basically the short version of it is you figure out everything you need to do and you prioritize it. And then you decide as a team, here's the stuff we need to do. We're going to do this in this sprint. 
And then as a team, you kind of can see visually as those tasks get moved across. And so it would not be unusual for someone to come in and look at somebody else's task and be like, okay, they haven't started that yet. Or to go, hey, I just discovered something. I want you to know about this. And, and it was just a great communication um, uh, tool. Um, and you can do that digitally, too, now in the time of COVID. That you absolutely, communication is a big, big thing of making sure everybody knows what everyone else is working on. Not to the minutia of detail, but just enough. For someone to say, I'll pick on regulatory again, is I'm going down some path and night regulatory might go, um, hang on, did you know there's a regulation that did it and, and, or golly, we got a problem, we got to get around it. And that regulatory person, that collaboration becomes possible because they know what the other one's doing. So I try very hard to get, and it's hard because you can go too much detail where everyone wants to poke their eyes out and you can go, you know, high enough where it's motherhood and apple pie and nobody's paying any attention. So the, the in-between um, is, have you heard of death by meeting? Okay. So you, yeah. so that's what I, I use the uh, live agenda at the beginning of a meeting I'll say, what are the important things we need to be talking about? Because those tend to be the cross-functional types of things. Those are top of mind. Those are going to be the hardest things to deal with. And so then you get you get people solving problems together, and that builds a team. It's funny that we have all these tools, right? We have like Agile and Scrum and Jira and project test management, all these different tools and teams and, 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 uh, it all comes down to communication. We're, we're really just trying to find effective ways to communicate with each other. Um, we, we found that the, the daily huddle is a great way to do that. We take, you know, 10 minutes at the beginning of the day. Everyone virtually stands up and says, I'm working on this today. And the next person says, I'm working on that today. And, and it's interesting how just that those few minutes in the meeting, uh, at the beginning of the day can spark conversations that wouldn't have happened otherwise that are really important conversations yeah. to have. And avoid problems that you didn't even know were coming right. at you. Yeah, 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 exactly. And the other thing that I find is it's again, it's like, it's dumb moments, right? And and it's also, unless you've done it and you're a believer, you think there's no way we could possibly do this sort of thing. The other thing that I implemented is we, I don't know about you, you guys probably are more sane. In corporate America, we, many of us do our work outside of business hours because we're in meetings during business hours, which is ridiculous. Interesting. Okay. Um, and part of that is... um because everybody, because it's disjointed and people are on different meeting, different teams uh, and stuff like yeah. that. What I successfully did in several organizations and several teams is I was like, all right, I get that you're, you know, going to be in three or four other teams. You're going to be in other meetings. But I was granted also that I was empowered by my management to do this. We agreed that Tuesdays and Thursdays were our project days and we would all today in COVID time, I would get us all on a zoom meeting. We would all come, come to the same room in, in real life. You, you go to a conference room or whatever, and we would work there and we wouldn't necessarily have meetings or whatever. 
it would be we would all come and we're working. It's our day to work on this project. You're you might and so what would happen is somebody would be like, Hey Jane, I have a bloody block question about you know, testing. How do you guys do? What is it that you guys have got planned? And it'd be like a five minute conversation. Or or since we were all in there, they'd be like and, and I'd listen in and I'd be like, Oh, did you guys know, you know, management decided yada yada? And they're like, No, we didn't. Okay, good to know. And and then another person, you know, the VNV guy would say, Hey, by the way, I know I got, we got to get ahead of, you know, get in the test house early enough or so did you know you need to put this much in? And all of a sudden we'd have this mini meeting of 10 to 15 minutes that had everyone that needed to be in there participating and it would be done and done. And then we would be like, okay, sort it out. Good. Boom. And we'd go back to our whatever we were working on. And That's were awesome. those... I may have missed this. Were those formal meetings that were scheduled or was that just the hallway gathering? Well, the formal meeting was you had to be in the team room on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Got it. Okay. We would kick off with maybe a stand-up and maybe we'd have a team meeting during that day. At some point, there would be a meeting. Um, and yes, maybe they would say, hey, you and I and the three of us, we need to get together and we they'd huddle over in the corner of the room or they yeah. go out over the room or whatever. So yes, meetings would happen in addition, but it was you sit in the same room and you could do it today with, with zoom, right? You could go into a zoom little breakout room and go have a huddle. Yeah. The rest of the team could be there and you could pop back into the main room, go, Hey, actually Jack, we need you for this call pop in. And so, uh, the the not multitasking giving people and i don't know about you but in a meeting usually it takes the first like 75 percent of the meeting however long you've got to figure out what is it we're trying to solve and then you're like okay everybody understands our roles everybody gets gets how we're supposed to like what the problem is well who's doing what we got the history okay now we're ready to start solving and it's like oops I got to go to another meeting. I I have encountered that problem for sure. And we have uh, what I think is a really terrific, it's, it's a meeting notes template that we use. And I'd be happy to send it out to yeah. anyone that wants one, um, get in touch with me. But uh, it, it the first line is, what's the purpose? Why are we here? All right, let's be really clear on why we're here and what we're trying to solve. And then uh, there's a place to, to uh, with action items, and then there's some instructions for what to do with those action items to make sure that they, they get done. And there's a place to review action items from the previous meeting. Anyway, it's been really helpful for us. Um, anyway, just uh, another form of yeah. effective communication. Yeah, that's just, yeah. But I guess I, what I'm saying is if you are in a room, virtual or otherwise, all day long, you can pick up that conversation, leave it, walk away, noodle, noodle. The C's in the, in the room, the, the, the people who need to noodle will noodle on it some more and then they'll go back and they'll add a little more. Yeah. And, and the, the magic happens when you allow it to take time and there isn't the pressure of we got to finish and we're done. It's, you have all day. It's interesting. So it's, it's, it's like a, an all day meeting that could take the whole day or none of the day. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Right, like, That's a, a fresh new take on it. In the room, 
just working on whatever they're working on. There's no explicit yeah. problem you're trying to solve. You're just in the room together. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, Astrid, again, I, I think I could just ask you questions all day long, but but um, uh, we should probably end now. So thank you so much for, for spending some time with me. Um, before we go, do you, do you want to share um, how people can get a hold of you or anything about the company that you're, you're working at right now? Anything like that? I'm a, I can't share anything about my company, unfortunately, right now. But Super Secret Project, I'll have to kill you. Ooh, okay. um, but if you can get a hold of me via LinkedIn, or you can email me directly, which is my first name, A-S-T-R-I-D, at alum, A-L-U-M as in Mary, dot M-I-T. Dot edu. So those are two ways to reach me. That's probably one of the big benefits of graduating from MIT. They give you a lifetime email address, right? That you can flout around. Yeah. Yes, it's kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Astrid, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of Pipeline Design and Engineering. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. It really helps other people find the show. To learn how your engineering team can leverage our team's expertise in developing turnkey custom test fixtures, automated equipment, and product design, visit us at testfixturedesign.com. Thanks for listening.